Let's go to the Word this morning, shall we, and turn in our Bibles to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, as we continue our ongoing study of the book of Hebrews, better said, to the book God wrote to Hebrew believers in the New Testament age post-Christ. The things we can learn as all believers in Christ of this age share the same foundation and the same direction. And so this Bible, this book applies to us as well as to the Hebrews. Looking at chapter 11, let's read again of Moses, beginning in verse 24. By faith Moses, when he had become of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea and as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Let's pray together this morning, shall we? Dear God, we turn to your word and we pray the faith of Moses would be our faith, that we would follow along in his footsteps willingly, follow the truths you gave, follow the truths you've given us, follow the promises that are perpetual and everlasting. Bless these people who sit here this morning, Lord, who have made this effort to be here, who have come, who have hearts that desire your word to do a work, who have within them a desire to follow you, to honor your name. But Lord, we all desire to walk by faith. Help us understand it and help us do it. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. As we look at Moses, we are looking at a faith that pleases God because that faith chooses God. Moses first, before he would follow any of the promises of God, he first had to choose the one true God, the God of his forefathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who created the heavens and the earth and made all that is in them. And then he could choose God's people, which thing he did, forsaking Egypt, the riches, the wealth, the position, the grandeur, he chose to be part of God's people, to suffer with them. He chose 
Then God's reward, as we looked last week. Rewards of God according to his plum promises rather than the pleasures that this world has to offer. He made a third choice as well. He chose God's face. He chose God's face. He chose to endure, and the way in which he endured. Verse 27, by faith he first sook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. We seek the same God. The invisible God that is spirit that no man has seen at any time, he is our God. Fourthly, this morning, I want to turn to his fourth choice, faith that pleases God, chooses God, but also chooses God's deliverance, chooses God's deliverance, Roman numeral four in your notes. Look at verse 28. By faith, he, that is Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Encapsulated in that one verse is quite a few verses of Old Testament history from the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is aptly named. It's written about, wait for it, the Exodus, the leaving of Egypt. We are so used to it, we don't even allow the profundity of that title reach us. Most of us here have never been slaves, have never been in bondage. Some of you may have been incarcerated one time or another. Maybe that was a good flavor, and you can share with us how that felt. But I'll tell you one thing. When you made Exodus, that was a good feeling. I am certain. And it's one thing to be in jail because you deserve it and are sprung free. It's another thing to be a slave and you don't deserve it. That's where you find yourself, or you think you don't deserve it. Israel had been given a great blessing. God brought Jacob and all his sons out of the famine land into Egypt where he had prepared a way for them to live, even through the sin of Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery, and then Joseph, through the might and power and providence of God, rose to be second in Egypt by that position he saved his people but here's what happened children of Israel were good they followed God's command fill the earth and multiply the Egyptians must not have been doing that as much because there were more Israelites than there were Egyptians and that scared the Egyptians and so they put them into bondage made slaves of them, made workers out of them because they were afraid of them. By the way, tyrants are always most afraid of one thing, and that is the uprising of the people over whom they are a tyrant, a despot, a totalitarian leader. 
Pharaoh was such a one. But here's the thing. When you're a slave, you don't get to choose how you leave slavery. You have no rights. You have no power. You have no wealth, which would, you might buy your freedom. No power to influence to get your freedom. You are a slave. You are in bondage. That's what makes the story of Exodus so unique is the reluctance of God's people to follow his plan of deliverance. That's why I think this verse is here, brothers and sisters, in its simplicity, but in the depths of its profundity. It is profoundly simplistic. It demands of us a knowledge a knowledge of our Old Testament book of, you get it, Exodus. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. This is obedience. Moses, go. I'm sending you. I can't talk. Okay, take your brother. Your brother will talk. Now go. Get the people. Bring them to the promised land. So when it says Moses kept the Passover, it is saying Moses obeyed God's plan of deliverance. He believed by faith that this would work. So he kept the Passover. This was the tenth and final plague upon the Egyptians. Began with turning all the water in the land of Egypt, including the Nile River, into blood. Then they got a number of nice things to influence them. Lice, or if you will, gnats, flies, frogs, hail. By the way, did you know that in that accounting of the hail that God had fall from heaven, by that point, there were many Egyptians who believed the pronouncement that Moses had made that God was going to send hail, and they brought all their family and all of their friends and all of their livestock in undercover. Did you know that? It's in the book of Exodus. But for nine straight times, nine plagues, they didn't go free. They were still slaves. But Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. You see, salvation is in the details of God's plan. Deliverance and salvation are the same Hebrew word. We use two sometimes. 
to mean the same thing. To deliver from a slavery, a bondage, savingly, into the hands of God. Into a freedom of following God. Let me say that again. A slavery, i.e. to man or ourselves, to a freedom to serve God. That's what freedom is. Freedom is not personal autonomy. Personal autonomy is another form of slavery. Self-inflicted. To say, I am the captain of my ship, the master of my life, is to deny the sovereign position of God. We need to be saved from that just like being saved from Egypt. Delivered into the freedom to serve God. That is freedom. Say, well, that sounds like service. Mm Mm-hmm. I wonder if we've defined freedom wrong in here. Maybe in here. Because freedom is free to do what you were made to do. We were made to serve God and worship him and enjoy him. So when it says simply, he kept the Passover, it simply means he chose God's way of deliverance that had in it bloodshed. He doesn't leave that out. These are the only things he says, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. That's all it tells us. The rest we have to go to Exodus for, and, well, I'm willing to take you there. Let's go. Exodus chapter 12. If you're not fresh in the book of Exodus, let me breathe some life into the story. God, Exodus 12, verse 3, commanding, Speak to the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a, a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5 now. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. This is the preparation for deliverance. This is the only way God gave them for this deliverance to happen. It required a mass slaughter. Some writers tell us that Israel had grown to a million people or more. It could be even a million men at this time. I don't know about you, but that's more people than live in the state of Montana. So let's just say every family in the state of Montana needs 
a lamb without blemish or a goat as well. I'm hoping for a lamb. Or maybe not. Lambs are cuter. Well, let's leave that aside. And then at twilight, after having kept it for four days with you, little cutie lammy pie, little bouncy lammy pie, little fuzzy lammy pie, some kid probably named it. Then at twilight, outside we go. And they all get killed. A mass slaughter of lambs. It's the final wonder. It's the final sign that is going to be accomplished by God to show his own glory. To show himself stronger than Pharaoh, stronger than Egypt, stronger than the gods of Egypt. Gods with a little g, meaning not really gods. Verse 12, chapter 12, Exodus. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beasts. And against all the gods, little g, of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. This is the description of the mass slaughter of all the firstborn of Egypt, animals and men. Every firstborn would be under the judgment of God and die unless the blood of the slaughtered lambs is placed on the lintel and the posts of the door. Then those inside that house would be delivered, would be passed over. God judges. He has a method of judgment. And he has a plan of exodus, of deliverance. And then there's a call for a choice. What will you do? Even in this book of Hebrews, God is speaking to these people who know this so well that only one verse is necessary to say, kept the Passover and sprinkling of blood to bring the entirety of this message to their minds. But within this book, in just the previous chapter we studied, the judgment of God was not absent. There's a way of deliverance or there's a way of judgment. 
And we look now at verse 26 of chapter 10 and remind ourselves of this warning that God was giving these Hebrews in lead up to chapter 11. For if we sin willfully, it says in 10 verse 26, for if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. You can blow it. After you receive the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Listen, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indicate indignation, which will, listen, devour the adversaries. Adversaries of who? Adversaries of God. In the Exodus, you are an adversary of God if you did not have the prescribed lamb with the prescribed slaughter and then the prescribed sprinkling of the blood or painting of the blood over your door and on the posts of your house. You would miss the deliverance and accept the judgment by not keeping Passover. Verse 28 of Hebrews 10 says, Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And now he brings it into the new covenant. He says, But how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed, a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace. Stop there. There are people in the world right now, you probably know some of them, who when talking about God giving his son to slaughter, to be sacrificed, will say, well, that's child abuse. That's evil. That's harsh. What's harsh? Lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. The lamb had to die. The doors must be painted with blood. In Christ, death and blood. Why do you suppose this is? Because if we're really going to say honestly, there's a niggling in our hearts, there's a problem that we sometimes face when we think about this harshness of God, even in this Passover. And when pastor said right up front of everybody, they slaughtered all the little baby lambs. There's something in us that are kind of going, boy, that's rough. That's tough. It almost seems heartless. So I ask you, what's wrong with God? Or I might ask you on the other side, what's wrong with us? 
that this is tough. Let me see if I can help you by going back in Exodus to chapter 7. What is the purpose? What is the purpose of this that would make this worth it? Make this right. Exodus chapter 7, the lead up here, verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. So what he's saying is, Moses, you're going to be my direct representative. You will mediate between me and Pharaoh. So the power of Almighty God is represented by his mediator between God and men, Moses, and his prophet Aaron, the one who speaks. Verse 2. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. That's where we get all the let my people go songs. Verse 3. Verse 3. Are you zeroed in? Listen to verse 3. And I, God says, will harden Pharaoh's heart. And will multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you. Here it is. Pay attention. So that this is the purpose of nine signs and then the tenth. Why nine with no let go? I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Why the tenth, along with the ninth, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt, listen, by great judgments. There's a purpose to judge Egypt. They deserve this sentence by God's judgment. But more than this, added to this even, verse 5, and the Egyptians shall know, listen, that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. That's the so that. That's the purpose. God is self-declaring, breaking through the paganism, breaking through the bondage of the Egyptians, showing himself mightier than any of their false gods that they've been worshiping for generations. In a sense, there are two exoduses possible. The Israelites and the Egyptians. God is making himself known to a lost people who though they are the enslavers are actually slaves. 
So bad is sin. So deep are the entanglements of sin in the hearts of men and women, lest you think I am being gender specific, I am being gender neutral. All men fall short of the glory of God. Why? Because all men have sinned. They've sinned against the glory of God and tried to dethrone God and made themselves God and made gods for themselves. And the insidious nature of sin is that it comes and it wraps itself around thinking, around hearts, around desires, around all those things. It starts driving what Jonathan Edwards called our affections. And we always follow our affections. What we like the most and honor the most, that we do. That we do. Do we do it God's way or do we do it our way? Passover. You know, why the constant biblical citation of the Exodus? If you're a student of the Bible, and I know many of you are, you know that this comes up again and again, and again, and again, Old Testament, and in the New Testament. God delivering, God saving Israel from the bondage of Egypt. Why? And not only that, in the law of Moses, every single year, Passover must be kept. And it had been being kept until the time of Jesus, and Jesus kept the Passover. Did he not? Yes, he did. Because this was symbolic of the deliverance God would one day bring, not for the physical deliverance from Egypt, but for the spiritual deliverance of every heart that's in bondage to sin. The lamb that is slain, fulfilled in the blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb slain. It was John the Baptist when he saw Jesus coming in the very first chapter of the book of John. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Even in Paul's writing, in 1 Corinthians, the way for us as Christians to live a Christian life, to live in purity, is attached to the Passover understanding and even the unleavened bread that was part of it. Listen to 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. He speaks of this church that's been in some rebellion. They've got pride among them. They've got divisions among them. They've got believers suing other believers. They're following sin and not following Christ. And he says in verse 6, your glorying is not good. In other words, glorying in yourselves is not good. Do you not know, Paul says to the Corinthians, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 
Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Right there we have a reference to the Passover celebration and the seven days of unleavened bread where the entire house had to be purged of any form of leavening, yeast or otherwise, or you were guilty and could be cast out from among the people. It was so serious. So that's the picture that's now being brought into a New Testament church understanding. Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Don't live like a pagan anymore. Live like a Christian. Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. I hope there's a lot of new lumps out there this morning. I thought that would get more laughs. Since you truly are unleavened, since God has indeed gotten it out of you, live like it. For indeed Christ, listen, for indeed Christ, pay attention, for indeed Christ, our Passover. What's Passover all about? Why all these centuries of a Passover? They are centuries of a Passover for the ultimate Passover. If you didn't follow the Passover way with the sprinkling of blood in Exodus, your firstborn all died in judgment. And the judgment was you didn't believe that this was the way of salvation, of avoiding the coming judgment. So Christ now is our Passover. What's passing over? The judgment of God that brings death on all sinners who don't believe. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us, was slaughtered for us. Blood, blood, death. To break the bonds of sin, death is required. It's not my way. It's God's way. You can say you don't like it. You can say it's too harsh. You can say it's not something you want to think about. But if you want to be delivered, you got to take the blood. Therefore, Paul goes on, verse 8, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread, listen, of sincerity and truth. See, this Passover is passing over lest you die. So it's symbolic of the salvation which Christ would bring, and it happens one way only. There aren't two ways out of Egypt. Okay, you guys go that way, we're tunneling out. Okay, you guys go with Moses. We're staying for a while. We're going to buy our way out. No. There was one prescribed way, and that was through the Passover. Then God moved the heart of Pharaoh, and he let 
his people go. The message is one way. The message is the only way. One of the very first sermons in the New Covenant era given by Peter himself, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I bring you to his words in Acts 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, this is after a miracle, a sign of deliverance that was given physically through Peter's hands. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, Peter goes on to say, listen, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands here before you whole. It's a sign. It's a sign that the rest of what he has to say is true. And so he tells them this truth. This is the stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Prophetic. Verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other. What? Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is one way. There was one way out of Egypt. There's one way into the kingdom of God and his everlasting rest and peace. And it is through Jesus the Christ, the one name. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes Unto the Father, except through me, through Christ. As Moses was the mediator between God and Egypt and Pharaoh, Jesus is the mediator between God and men today. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there is one God. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, who? The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Why the blood? Why the slaughter? So we would see. So we'd see the price of sin. God said to Adam, he said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat from it, thou shalt surely die. 
And when they ate, they ran from the Lord. They hid from them. And everything that God had made beautiful, sin creeped up and destroyed. The wages of sin is death. And that death makes you run away from God and a slave of sin and in darkness and in bondage to that sin. And its every call holds your heart and its every move pushes your mind. And there's one way to freedom. Through this mediator, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom, he paid the blood debt. And so the angel of death will pass by the house. And so God in his judgment in the final day will pass by your life. He'll pass over you. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, there'll be two who will be in a field and one will be taken and the other will be left. By the way, in that context, the one that is taken is taken into judgment. And the one who's left enters the kingdom of the Son of God, of Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Exodus a way of escape. Exodus, an escape from judgment and death. Hebrews chapter 2. I hope you see this fitting together now. Verse 3. How shall we escape? Hebrews 2 verse 3. How shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Whosoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. I did not come to condemn the world, but that the world, that the world through him should be saved. Where are you today? Where are you today? You want God's way? It's through the sacrificial blood of Christ. You have to believe that he paid the price for your sin. And when judgment comes, God will see that blood and pass you over. He will see your faith, for indeed we do paint it upon the front of our doors and on the posts of our lives and we say I am covered by the blood of Christ. 
what do I bring to Christ? Nothing. What does he bring to me? His blood. And so I am saved. And so you are delivered by the blood of Christ. And you're going to wait like they waited in Egypt for the angel of death to pass. And you shall see if your faith is well placed. But that's why they kept it the Passover every year. Every year. Let's pray. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who came as an unblemished lamb, was slaughtered by the plan and purposes of God for my sin, for your sin, for the sins of all who would believe, that we should be a people of faith, that we should be a people of God. And so today we here choose Jesus Christ and God's plan of salvation as our hope, though unseen, we see it. Thank you, Jesus. We are saved by your sacrificial blood.